Merry Christmas. And I see I'm not the only one that dressed up a little bit for Christmas Sunday. Some people probably thought, well, well is this the last Sunday before Christmas? Because it's the farthest out it could be. As, uh, the very last day of the week is Christmas, and here it is, the Sunday before Christmas. We are looking at a continuation of our series, Filled, Complete, Whole. And today is titled, Because of My Christmas Clothes. So I busted out my old suit, my red tie. If you're a guest here, I don't normally dress up quite so much. I'm usually in jeans and a button-up shirt. And uh, if you've been here for decades, you've probably seen me like this. And, you know, two weeks ago, it was a five-gallon bucket was an object lesson. And then last week, volleyball. So today, why not my suit? And we're going to have an object lesson about Christmas clothes today as we jump into the passage. And why would we do that? Because the Apostle Paul did. He did an object lesson about clothes for us. And we're going to be taking a look at that. And I hope that that will be very meaningful to you. So here's the big idea that we're going to look at together right up front. The first Christmas was when the eternal Son of God, some people get confused by this, they think that Jesus' beginning was the first Christmas some 2,000 years ago. Jesus has no beginning. He is the Alpha and Omega. He's eternally God. We learned about this in chapter 1 of Colossians in this series. Then he came as a man. So The first Christmas was when the eternal Son of God, the King of Heaven, removed his regal robes of radiance to clothe himself in humility as the Son of Man. So he is the Son of God, fully God, Son of Man, fully man. He came in order to set us free. I'm going to begin today by reading a story I had never heard of before. There is a Christmas connection, but I've never heard this as a Christmas story. In fact, nobody would have read such a story to me as a Christmas story growing up. And I'm pretty sure nobody's read this to you as a Christmas story ever. In fact, it's rather new information, even though it's historic truth uh, that took place early in Well, I'll just read it. Here we go. In September of 1940, Witold Pilecki, that's how I'm going to pronounce it. It's a Polish name, W-I-T-O-L-D, Pilecki, P-I-L-E-C-K-I. I think in Poland, they'd say Witold Pilecki, or an approximation. He was a Polish army captain, He did the unthinkable. He snuck into Auschwitz, the death camp, because he knew something wasn't right. And the only way he was going to find out what was going on there was to sneak himself in. That's right, into Auschwitz. Pilecki knew that something was terribly wrong with the concentration camp, and as a committed Roman Catholic Christian... And a Polish patriot, he couldn't sit by and watch. He wanted to get information on the horrors of Auschwitz. I I could be saying that messed up over and over again because it's a hard one for me to say. But he knew he could only do that from the inside. So his superiors approved a daring plan. They provided a false identity card with a Jewish name, 
And then Pilecki allowed the Germans to arrest him during a routine Warsaw Street roundup. Pilecki was sent to Auschwitz and assigned inmate number 4859. Pilecki, a husband and father of two. Can you imagine? I lost my place. Later said, I bade farewell to everything I had known on this earth. He became just like any other prisoner, despised, beaten, and threatened with death. From inside the camp, he wrote, the game I was now playing at Auschwitz was dangerous. In fact, I had gone far beyond what people in the real world would consider dangerous. But beginning in 1941, prisoner number 4859 started working on his dangerous mission. He organized the inmates into resistance units, boosting morale and documenting the war crimes. Pilecki used couriers to smuggle out detailed reports on the atrocities. By 1942, he had also helped organize a secret radio station using scrap parts. The information he supplied from inside the camp provided Western allies with key intelligence information about Auschwitz. In the, begin in the spring of 1943, Pilecki joined the camp bakery where he was able to overpower a guard and escape. Once free, he finished his report, estimating that around 2 million souls had been killed at Auschwitz. When the reports reached London. Officials thought he was exaggerating. Of course, today, we know he was right. Later in a report, he wrote, there is always a difference between saying you will do something and actually doing it. Now, why would I read something like that on a beautiful Christmas Sunday morning when we want to come with all kinds of pretty thoughts and hopeful, adoring pictures and images in our mind to prepare us for a joyful celebration of Christ's coming. Because that is the best earthly picture I can come up with that parallels what Jesus did. When he came from the glories of heaven, in the safety of that glory, to our death camp, because we were a rebel, rebel world, and he came to set us free. And, of course, it cost him his life. We'll discover, if you read any of the history, eventually it cost Pilecki's life as well. And a lot of this, he was a forgotten figure in history until recently as his own uh, autobiographical work becomes more known. And then now you can find books in English today about him. Amazing, amazing parallel that sets us up well for this chapter in Colossians 3. Let me read. I won't be able to read the whole section we're looking at, so you might want to be prepared to look it up yourself in different places that I'm not actually reading, but on the screen there'll be some key verses. Here we go. We're going to start at verse 9. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed 
in knowledge, in the image of its creator. I'll be explaining some of these phrases a little bit later. We're going to jump to verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So now we're talking about the Christmas clothes that we can put on because Jesus took his regal robes off and enter into our world so that we could take off our old self and put on our new self. So what we're talking about is taking off and putting on clothing articles, but it's just a metaphor that is made possible because he has done something spiritually for us to literally take off our old self, how we used to be, to put on our new self in a spiritually made alive with Christ. This is a miracle that he made possible in our escape from our own walk of death. And now he's going to talk about it like, we've got to make the outside match the inside. A miracle took place inside of you the moment you believed and trusted in Jesus. Now you have some things you need to do to make that thing which is happening through and through you show up on the outside in a reality. Here's what you do. And he's going to talk about it like you need to do something with the clothing that people see in your life and change to this new clothing that we're going to talk about as we keep going. So in verse 14 we read, and over all these virtues, because he's talking about these virtues as articles of clothing, put on love which binds them all together. In perfect unity. How did Jesus make this possible? Well, if you back up to chapter 2, verse 20, we read this phrase, since you died with Christ. That's an odd phrase from our modern mind. But once we have connected with Christ by faith and trusted in him, make sure this trust is not just a mental thing, but a trust that is like an allegiance that you're pledging to him. And that's why we were baptized into Christ and we say, I'm all in. We're placing our trust in Jesus and our allegiance in Jesus to such a degree that we could say we died with Christ. We so believe in what he did at the cross, absorbing our sins, that we died there with him. Now, it's not just something we believe in. It's a spiritual reality that is miraculous that takes place when you place your trust and allegiance into Jesus. Something inside of you shifts. And how does it shift? We read in verse 1 of chapter 3, which sets up this chapter, since then you have been raised with Christ. And how were we raised? By the power of his resurrection, which was by the power of the Holy Spirit of God resurrecting his dead body. That same power that resurrected Jesus from the grave now resurrects our dead lives into a new and different self. 
And this new indifferent self, the moment after we come out of this baptismal commitment to Jesus where we're aligning ourselves with him, uniting with him, and literally pledging our trust, our allegiance to him, something real takes place whether you knew it or not. We are now made alive by his Holy Spirit And it changes us through and through from the inside until it starts showing up for others to see. And this is what Paul is getting at with these new believers in a pagan culture in the city of Colossae when he writes this letter to the Colossians. Since then you have been raised with Christ. This is what you do. Now we're ready for point number one. You take off your filthy rags. And then he gives a representative list of sins that are the articles of sin that these Colossians, uh, some of them were still wearing even though they've been changed spiritually from the inside. And he says it ought not to be a changed that Others cannot see. The inside change needs to show up on the outside. Let me show you how to make this more visible, how to make it more real. And he's listing off then these filthy rag articles of clothing. Now, Paul does these sin lists and virtue lists in a a number of his letters. None of them match. So always there are representative lists that he highlights certain things that the audience that he's writing to needs to hear, and it's not comprehensive. And so we're looking at a list here that is not a comprehensive list, but a representative list that highlights the things that we need to hear and should trigger some things that go, oh, we also need to hear this one for us. But let's talk through this list. So in verse 5, he lists off the filthy rag of sexual immorality. The word is porneia. Porneia is the Greek word from which we get our English word pornography. Anything related to porn is sexual activity that's out of bounds. Pornography is sexual activity out of bounds because you're viewing somebody that you're not married in a sexual way. It's out of bounds. But that's not the only thing out of bounds. Any sexual activity outside of God's design is out of bounds. And what is God's design? God's design for sex is only between a man and a woman committed in marriage. And that safeguard, that safeguards that sacred act that keeps it protected and beautiful. Anything before marriage is danger zone. Anything outside of marriage is danger zone. There's all kinds of places that talk about how you've got to trust Jesus, that this is his design. Now, this was radical teaching in Colossae. I'd say it's no more radical than it is in Cottonwood. You stand up and say this in public forums and you're going to be shot down and persecuted and called names and you prude and what are you, some kind of Puritan and what's, what's the deal with you? And 
narrow-minded, blah, 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 blah. I'm just teaching what God teaches. We need to wake up to a morality that God is calling us to in allegiance to Jesus. The next item on the list, in fact, the next three, still seem to be along these lines because he lists off impurity, lust, and evil desires. You know that daily living in our culture is like whatever media you turn to is like a flood. It's a flood of this stuff. What the average person in our culture is exposed to in a week in our culture right now today is more than what my grandparents were exposed to in a lifetime. In a week, it's flooding us. And don't think that it's not hurting us. Prisons are more full because of this. Houses are breaking down because of this. Marriages are falling apart because of this. Children are hurting because they don't have families that are holding together because of this. Not to mention crimes against children and crimes against people. This addiction is growing and destroying our culture. And it's dangerous Evil desires are fueled constantly at every turn of the channel, every click of the mouse, every scrolling of the screen. Paul then turns from sexual immorality with these other words, impurity, lust, and evil desires, to greed. Then he says, this is idolatry. This is verse 5 still. This is a radical teaching in a pagan culture. But that pagan culture is just like ours. We idolize people who are greedy. We idolize people who make so much money. We want to be just like them. Don't. Why would you want to be like the person who wants so much more when it's all about self-indulgence? It's destroying them. It's taking them away from all that is good. This is filthy rags. And our culture has groomed us to think it's beautiful. It's what everybody wants in America. More. And even our culture of Christmas is built so much on greed. It's a filthy rag. I keep calling this filthy rag because these are clothes that wrap us up in death with the smell of death all over the clothing. It's life apart from God in the death camp. We need to bust free and we can't do it without the activity that Jesus did After this list, Paul pauses in his list to shake us up. It's like he has to wake us up from the stupor of our culture. We're so numb. We're so calloused because we see it all the time. We say stupid things like, it doesn't affect me. Baloney. It affects you and all those around you. The only reason you're numb is you have so much in your life. 
It is totally affecting you to think that it's not affecting you. He shakes us up this way in verse 6 and 7. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Merry Christmas. It's not your typical Christmas message, is it? You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. He's trying to put it where it belongs. It belongs in that spot that is buried. You have died with Christ. And you've been raised with Christ. And now that you're raised with Christ, you need to live this new way. And you can't do it without Christ. And he's just reminding them, this is what it, you used to be. Every single one of you used to be this way. Put it in the past. Live like you really believe this thing needs to be buried. It doesn't need to be connected to you. You have been made alive. If I told you that you had an inheritance that nobody told you about and you've got a million dollars in the bank account, only if you believed it would you start spending it. If you didn't believe it, you'd live like you keep are living now. And if you don't believe that you've been resurrected to a new life where you can put on these new clothes and live a new way, if you don't believe you can, you won't. But if you believe that that old way is dead and you keep looking to Jesus for the help to live it, you can live it in a way that gives glory and honor to Jesus. And by the way, we're real good at covering up the things on the inside with clothing that looks good, but it's not really connected with what's on the inside. It's a cover-up. What we're asked to do here is not to pretend, but go for the through-and-through through real thing that is connected with this new, visible you, which he then describes. But let me get into... He's got, after he's waking us up, he gets, into, he gets into our business, right in our grill. In verse 8, anger. Do you think we're an angry culture today? Rage. Have you been on the other end of rage where you go, whoa, what just pushed your button? And you, you, you don't dare say that, <laughs> Right? There is rage and anger bobbling right now. And I'm going to be like Paul and not even explain myself in the next few. Malice, slander, and filthy language, and lying. That's verses 8 through 9. So we need to take off our filthy rags. Point number two, and put on Christ's character. We're talking about Christmas clothes. Christ took off his glory, but he didn't take off his character. He took off his glory in that his divine nature, which is so bright that could blind us if he did not filter it through his humanity and did not wear a veil, so to speak, in flesh, would be so bright, all darkness would just disappear. But he humbled himself, read Philippians 2, and other places, and became a man, and his veiled, veiled in flesh, incarnate, see, the song goes. Good thing I didn't sing it, because I couldn't think of the tune. 
Um, Put on Christ's character. Verse 10, we already read this, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, in the image of its creator. Who's the image of the creator? We learned in Colossians 1, Jesus is the very image. We as human beings were created to be image bearers. We're created in the likeness of God to be images to reflect the character of God and, and take all his glory and let it radiate out into all the multicolored goodness of the virtue list. Jesus did it perfectly, so he's the very image of God. When you know Jesus, you know God. When you see Jesus, you're looking at God. If you get to know him personally, you're getting to know God personally, and that goodness flows through you, and now you can become human as designed by God in the new humanity, the new self, which was supposed to be how Adam and Eve were supposed to radiate the glory of God, but sin warped and messed up everything. Any hint of kindness, goodness, good character in you is that remnant of the reflection of the fact that that's by your hidden design. It sneaks out every now and again, kind of covered over by the other stuff. It's time to uncover that design. How? by removing the filthy rags to let our design and our new design through Jesus shine the glory that is God's design for what it means to be human the way he intends. So he lists off these virtues, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, Patience, all in verse 12. We bear with one another, verse 13, so we put on forbearance. We forgive one another, verse 13. We put on grace and we put on mercy and we put on forgiveness. Why? Because we received grace. We received mercy. We received forgiveness. And so we are able to live this out for others that are hurting us. That's putting on Christmas clothes. Verse 14, put on love, which binds these virtues together. The ESV says binds everything together. You want your marriage to stick together? You need these virtues. You need Christ. You need love that binds you together. You want your kids to experience a safe environment of a life that's held together, a family that holds together, you're learning to live out the love that Jesus has placed inside of you and you know how to take off that which is of your old nature and put on which is Christ. And I'm gonna give you just real practical how-tos when we conclude today to hold your family together, to hold relationships together, to hold church together, to hold Society together, we put on love. Verse 15, we put on peace. Verse 15, we put on thankfulness. And we'll see thankfulness again at the 17 or so. Let's just talk about kindness. Kindness looks really good on you. (laughs) In fact, it makes anybody attractive. Doesn't it? 
Kindness is such a practical, attractive garment. Sorely lacking today. Isn't it time we look more like Jesus? Now here's what we know. What I've just read today and what I've just spoken of today, we pretty much already all agree on. These aren't good ideas to agree with. These are virtues we must put on. We are masters at living the opposite of Vitold Paleski, where the inside does not match the outside, where what we say we will do does not match what we actually do, what our words don't actually match our lives. We need to be people who live this, not just teach this. We have made too much of our teaching. Listen to me, I'm a teacher. I have made too much of knowing the right stuff, focusing on the right information, getting a hold of the right concepts and the right thoughts. We know better than the rest of the world. We're just lousy at living it. Why? We think it's because of what we know. No, it's because of who you know and how intimately you know him. If you know him intimately and you're looking into his face daily and he's pouring his characteristics into you. And it's not because you're trying harder, it's because you're near him. And he's filling you and you're asking for his help. Only then are we actually wearing anything attractive. In his report, Pilecki said, there's always a difference between saying you will do something and actually doing it. We need to repent and take off our filthy rags and ask God to help us put on the characteristics of Christ. And if we do, we will do what's right. We already know what's right. Would you bow your heads? And I'm going to lead you into a practical prayer. In your own heart, silently, would you say this, God, forgive me for, and then fill in the blank with a filthy rag. If you need to review the list, review the list. But the Holy Spirit of God probably is already highlighting something that you know that you need to let go of, that you need to take off, that you need to remove, but you just don't know how. So cry out, God, forgive me for, but say it. What is it you need forgiveness for? Now say this, Lord, I want to take this off. What it is that you named. Name it again and say, I want to take this off. Bury it with Christ. And now I want you to say, and Lord, I want to put on, just name one of the virtues that we've talked about, 
Name one. Say you want to put that on. Now, ask for help. Ask for help to put that on in a visible way. In Jesus' name, amen. We're not done yet. Now, do something. Don't know something. Do something. Today, do something kind or loving. Love is going to bind it all together. Do something. Merry Christmas. We'll see you at Christmas Eve. And we'll see you next week for the conclusion of the Colossians series. And it's a guest speaker, Derek Bocamp. He's always a favorite. So I hope to see you Christmas Eve and next Sunday. God bless you. Enjoy your day.